I'm Jeff Cohen. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Kylie Ora and Danny LaBelle. She's a convert and he's a Balchuva. We'll get to hear their story about how they found each other and then found their way to Jewish observance. Kylie and Danny, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So this is one of my favorite kind of interviews when we have the husband and wife together because we get to hear each of your stories and you each get to fact check the other and make sure the stories are accurate and then we can go from there. So you guys ready to roll? Yes, (laughs) sounds great. Yep. So Kylie, why don't you give us a sense of where you were born and raised? So I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland to a non-religious family. My grandmother who passed away was very Catholic she always said she wished she'd become a nun. <laughs> um, she ended up having five children. And basically, we grew up as secular Americans doing Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day. But only my grandma would take me to church, which I did not enjoy. She said she tried to baptize me in her sink, but it didn't work. I don't know what that meant. I was a baby. Was I like hitting the water away? Like, no, I'm going to be Jewish one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> It worked for my sister, she said. But yeah, I have two older sisters. And starting in high school, I met my first Jewish people because the area I grew up in was not Jewish. And then we moved to a Jewish area near Pikesville. So yeah, I did not celebrate any religious holidays, just the secular aspects. And then also when I was 12, I decided I was an atheist because I'd had a hard life. My parents got divorced. I was a very lonely child. My sisters moved out of the house pretty early. And a friend said to me, that they didn't believe in God when I was a teenager. And she said, have you ever seen any miracles or anything like the Bible? Has any of that come to life? And I said, no. And then just looking back at my history where it was just so sad, I said, well, if I prayed to God that my parents wouldn't get divorced and that I'd have a better life and everything, and that never happened. So I thought, okay, there's no God. This is easy. So yeah, that's that's where I was. And the Catholicism definitely didn't uh, click with me. <laughs> It's actually amazing to think about knowing where your story is going to head by the fact that the two of you are on this interview, that this is really your starting point. It's not even about not being Jewish. It's even this fact of like, does God exist at all, whatever religion you believe in? Yeah, um, there was no compelling evidence for me. And then the Catholicism I learned, I never knock other religions. But for me, it was just pretty disturbing when I was a child to learn that as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I learned that. And that was very dark. Um, And then also my friends would come up to me in school and just randomly be like, are you baptized? And I'd say, no, I don't think so. And they'd say, well, you're going to hell. (laughs) So all of it just seemed very sad. And then I'd go to church and I'd see, you know, Jesus on the cross and he was naked and bloody and it was it was terrifying. <laughs> but as a child it just kind of seemed like a horror movie. <laughs> now, interestingly you said you started to meet some Jewish people, but you're talking about this feeling you have towards religion yourself. Did you have any feelings towards Judaism, the Jewish people you were meeting, what you were learning about, you know, how they handled themselves and what they felt about religion? So they were all Reformed Jews. They were very secular. Like we'd hang out on Shabbat, which I didn't know was even a thing, and watch movies and things like that. So the first time that I came into contact with Judaism was when I was little, and I watched Rugrats, and they had Hanukkah (laughs) and Pesach specials. And then I started pretty much exclusively dating Jewish boys in high school, and all my friends were Jewish. I just clicked with them better for some reason. And I went to a Passover Seder 
when I was 16 with my boyfriend and his family. I thought it was a fun experience. His parents were very nice to me, but we had <laughs> disgusting jarred gefilte fish. <laughs> <laughs> funny because I've never had it since then. It's just like, I think more of a secular Jewish thing because they don't know what the real stuff is, which is way better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is disgusting. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that from then on, even in college when I dated Jewish boys, never really did anything Jewish with them. So I think we have a pretty good sense of like where you came from in your background. Let's switch to Danny now to get him up to the same point as you. So Danny, how does your background, where you were born and raised, religion, how does that compare to Kylie? Very different. Um, as a child, I was a bit of a vigilante. I went out and fought neighborhood crime and would help people and save children. And uh, that was mostly my day-to-day, rescuing cats from trees and trees from dogs. I think you're talking about Peter Parker's childhood. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think we should mention, in order to set some context, what you do for a living might help people understand that first answer you gave. Oh, I'm a comedian. <laughs> For our listeners who thought that was your real childhood, now we have some context there, so thank you. Okay, well, it was not exactly that, but um, I grew up in originally Flushing, Queens, and we attended a conservative congregation of Temple Gates of Prayer. Then we moved to Long Beach, Long Island, and um, my parents put us in the local school, which was Orthodox, so we then were Orthodox, I think, that's how that went. I grew up in a Sephardic community in Long Beach, a Moroccan shul. My rabbi was incredible. His name was uh, Rabbi Asher Abitan, Zichron Lebracha. He was an amazing rabbi. And he was the closest religious person to me in my life growing up. That was uh, a big influence on me that made me very excited about Judaism. I didn't get that so much at uh, school, I went to the Hebrew Academy of Long Beach, which was very nice, but it didn't f- make a fiery passion inside of me, I don't think, in the way that I did from my rabbi growing up. I got kicked out of Hebrew Academy of Long Beach in ninth grade. It was the first year of Halb High School, and um, in the middle of the year, they kicked me and four other guys out because our grades weren't high enough, and they wanted a higher grade point average for the we were bringing down the curve and it was like a crazy thing to kick people out of Jewish school for in the middle we weren't even failing we just weren't doing amazing but we got kicked out and my parents shopped me around to other yeshivas other Jewish schools and they all rejected me and I think one of the things I remember my dad saying was that they didn't believe the reason I got kicked out was because of grades they were like there must be hiding something. There's a cover-up here. And to their credit, many years later, the head of what is called DRS now, the rabbi, apologized to me. Anyway, so the only Jewish school that would take me in the middle of ninth grade was one called Task, which was the Torah Academy of Suffolk County. But I always felt like it's also like it's a real task to take care of these kids. And we all wound up uh, in, in the school for, for misfit Jews. And I remember, like, I was very into my davening, and when I got there, I was davening shacharit, and I was getting spitballs launched at me because they thought, like, what is this dork doing, you know? So, yeah, so that's when I started to really, like, disconnect from religion, I think, and I hated that school very much. Everything about it was just decrepit. The education was terrible. 
So I begged my parents to take me out and put me in public school. So they finally did. So I went to public school for 11th and 12th grade at Long Beach High School. And I loved it. It was wonderful. And that's when I was like, that's it. I'm done with religious Jews. I'm like, they're all jerks. I'm over this. Like, I, I invested all my time and everything to, you know, I'm in public school. And I'm, I'm like trying to do good things and be part of it still. And like, I'm like, that's it. I'm done with it. So I went to Israel on this program. I decided, like, I saw in Israel that there were lots of Jews that weren't religious. And I was like, oh, I could just be a secular Jew. I don't need to be a religious Jew. I don't even know why I'm doing this anymore. And also, my rabbi passed away. And that also made me very upset. I got mad at God. Um, I shouldn't have. It was immature, but I got mad at God. And I, I remember feeling like, well, God is telling me I don't have to be connected to Judaism anymore. He took away the one person who was my connection. You know, I'm listening to both of your stories, and while they're clearly like very, very different, the common theme is that both of you lose that connection to religion, even though you're different religions. You're both just feeling like it's not for me, but for, for different reasons entirely. So Danny, you now end up in Israel. You're in like feeling like a, a secular guy, but you still decide to go to Israel. And Kylie, where are you holding it at this point? You finished up high school and like what happens next for you? I went to college and I just went through life thinking, you know, because I was atheist that I was in control of everything. If I was having a bad day, it was my fault. At night, I would <laughs> lay in bed with, I had a lot of anxiety and depression. I would lay at night in bed thinking about the eternal darkness that waited me once I died since I didn't believe in heaven or hell. And I didn't have a good time in college. I didn't feel like I fit in. I wasn't a partier. I, I was just always different from people. And so, yeah, I, I ended up in therapy and, and just, just very lost. It wasn't until I met Daniel in the end of college and I don't know if you want me to skip forward this much. And I think that's but, uh, a good lead into you have Danny going off to Israel. You have you feeling like you don't have a great connection to college. So I would think our listeners are thinking, how do the lives of these two people cross, given where, the, where they're each holding? So if either of you wants to kind of get to that point of how you come into each other's lives. Sure. So I'll just talk about my journey in college. I majored in journalism, which is what I do today. I'm a journalist and writer. And I ended up interning at CBS News in Manhattan. I was a very hard worker. Um, wanted to have this big career in news as soon as I graduated from college. Oh, can I cut in here? I remember this. And then CBS was taken over. And it was a hostage situation. And I had to tap into my old vigilante <laughs> antics. I heard about this. And I went and I single-handedly saved everybody. Danny likes to make up stories about how we meet. And people believe him. They're like, wow, you met her when she was being attacked by a killer whale? That's crazy. Yeah. And I jumped <laughs> off the raft that I was on. And I said, I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to save her. This is and just I, a Tintin story. I punched the whale in the nose. And, um, you know, whales can't take that very well. Uh, well, it fought me a little bit, but ultimately it understood that I wasn't going to give up. And I brought her to safety, and I brought her, and she came through, and I, I said, Oh my gosh, you're beautiful. And she said, Oh, thank you. Where's the guy who saved me? I said, I'm the guy who saved you. What are you talking about? Well, the rest is history. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I think we need to do two versions of this interview. Like one that's the, the factual account of what happened, and then like a fully fictional one where Danny can do all of his uh, stand-up comedy material. Hey, he is a hero. He is a hero. Talk about that later. So I interned at CBS, and then that led to an internship at The Daily Show. 
and Danny and I had a mutual friend in common, a comedian named Maddie Goldberg, who was living with Danny. And Maddie helped me get my foot in the door at The Daily Show. Help, helped me get my foot in the door at Colbert. So I'll get to that. Yeah. So I had a terrible time interning at The Daily Show. I thought this was going to be a dream internship. I just ended up schlepping very heavy gift bags, um, bringing up huge jugs of water, shopping for groceries, cutting up bagels for the writers who wouldn't even look up and acknowledge me and say thank you when I brought them to them. It was not what I envisioned at all. And actually Viacom later got sued for making interns do menial tasks with no pay. So I was very happy when that internship ended. That was in the winter of my senior year. And one night Maddie told me, hey, I'm moving to Los Angeles. I'm having a farewell roast comedy show. My friends are going to roast me. Why don't you come on down? So at that roast, I watched him and his friends. Danny was not on stage, but afterwards, I heard someone talking about how they interned at Colbert and they hated it. And I went up to this person, who was Danny, and I said, I hated interning at The Daily Show. And we both talked about how we could never talk with any of the interns about it because we didn't want to hurt our chances of getting jobs there or because they were all phony for the most part they would never say anything because they were all well not phony they were smart yeah we're we're not smart (laughs) they were smart looking to advance themselves yeah so they would never say anything real about the situation but anyway yeah we kind of jumped ahead because last we left off i was in israel basically i came back from israel i went to baruch college and uh, started doing stand-up comedy. I actually started when I was 15, but I decided to take it seriously when I came back from Israel and make a go of it. You know, I, I lived on the Upper East Side with a roommate who I met in Israel, and he wasn't religious, but I was still trying to keep Shabbat, actually. You know, to some extent, not a full Shabbat, but to like do like a Friday night dinner and go to shul on Shabbat. And uh, so I was living on the Upper East Side. I was doing Shabbat by myself, Friday night dinners by myself in the apartment. And uh, so like when I say I wanted to be a secular Jew, I, I didn't fully commit to it, you know. There was a Sephardic shul on the Upper East Side. And um, I thought maybe I would fit in there because I was raised in a Sephardic shul. And, you know, I'm part Sephardic and I identify as Sephardic, as they say nowadays. I thought maybe they would kind of uh, take me in, but nobody ever like really talked to me. And when I tried to talk to people, it never, I never hit it off. No one ever invited me over for a meal or anything. And uh, after a few months of this, I realized this is really stupid. I don't really know that I believe in any of this. I'm just doing it because I feel like I have to. And I'm missing out on doing shows on Friday night, sitting alone with two challahs and some wine. I'm using some excuse because I just don't want to go all in, I guess. I don't want to take a real chance on myself. So I'm using religion as a cover-up to not really pursue what I want to pursue when I don't even think I believe in it. So that's when I was like, all right, that's it. No more Shabbat either. I'm going all in on comedy and uh, made my way through college at the same time. I started a comedy magazine and then ultimately wound up moving into Brooklyn with my friend Maddie Goldberg, who ultimately got me a internship with the Colbert Report, which I didn't like, and he decided that he was moving to Los Angeles, so I went to this goodbye party, uh, roast thing for him, and then I met Kylie. So thank you for the additional context so we have a sense of what was going on leading up to the point that you met. So I'm hearing two people who have an interest 
in your professions and when you meet is there a spark there like right away or is there's a friendship that forms at this event where you first meet for me there was a spark right away and i wanted to see him again i didn't know how to my surprise well maddie also wanted to help me again with my career i told maddie you know this internship at the daily show just ended i have nothing to do all semester because college is wrapping up and at that when you're in the spring semester of your senior year you're not really doing anything and i want to get more experience ultimately i wanted to intern at the onion and i thought if i got another comedy internship i could do that so maddie said to me well my friend danny runs this comedy magazine and now he runs he made it into a comedy podcast and radio show which aired out of Baruch College and Danny has interviewed over a thousand comedians like George Carlin and and I was a big fan of George Carlin and I said you know maybe I can intern for him at his radio show and and lo and behold one day I receive a call from an unknown number and it's Danny and he says Maddie told me that you want to intern for me is that true I said sure <laughs> and he said I need someone to book my show so I started booking his show and I brought in people like Larry King, um, Raffi, Raffi, the children's singer, Jim um, Davis, the Garfield creator. Yeah. Also a bunch of comedians. It was there working together that we started to like each other. So let's break that down for a second. Cause Kylie, you said you felt a spark even before this story, just like when you initially met. So when you're going for this job, I would think there's a dual purpose here. You're, you're interested in seeing Danny again. You're also trying to further your career. Danny, what's going on for you when you reach out to her? Are you just trying to fill a position or are you like, no, maybe there was something there and you want to like see where this relationship might go? I also felt a spark when I met her and I, I said to Maddie when we left, I said, I'd like to get that girl's number. And he said, no, I'm interested. So lay off. <laughs> so I said, okay, forget it, you know, out of my mind, done. And I just, I let it go because I, you know, I didn't want to do that. And then it was a few months later that she applied for internship. I'd never put it together that it was the same girl. I never knew that it was the girl from the bar that night. And I didn't know it probably throughout the whole internship. I didn't realize it. I just thought, oh, wow, I really like this intern. But I didn't realize that uh, it was the same girl I liked from the bar that night. By the way, it wasn't really a real internship. It wasn't like I was, was getting an college internship. credit. Well, you could have got it. I had real <laughs> so interns. Well, anyway, there was another guy on the show who had, uh, had a um, relationship with one of the interns prior to this whole thing. It didn't leave off well for the show. So we made a rule, no dating the interns. You know, so the whole time that she was an intern, I liked her, but I abided by the rule. You know, I didn't want to let down the show and I'm not going to let on that I like her or anything. And the whole time she never let on that she liked me. And it could have ended there, you know, but thankfully it didn't. Clearly it didn't because I'm interviewing you together. And I'm thinking at this moment, there's two people who have a spark, feel something for each other, are not acting on it for professional reasons. At the same time, neither of you are all that interested in religion. So I want to know, what is this turning point that it goes from a professional relationship to maybe there's something here and we can make this work? And how does religion then re-enter into the picture for you? So um, after college, I, I found out I got my dream internship, which is The Onion. And I didn't know where I was going to live. So I turned to Maddie. Yeah, Maddie was, is a bit older than me. He knew New York City. I said, Maddie, do you know where I could live while I do this internship? Somewhere cheap? He said, well, I just moved out of living with Danny. Why don't you ask him? It's a rent-stabilized apartment in Brooklyn, 10 minutes from your internship in Manhattan. $600 a month. Maybe he'll let you rent the couch. 
I asked Danny. It was a real shotgun in this story, you know? <laughs> Very unlikely one. But. <laughs> Not quite Elisa Ben Shalom, but yes. Um, so then Danny said, no, no, you can rent the bed. I'll take the couch. And I could really use the help with the rent because um, it's kind of struggling. $1,200 a month is a lot for a comedian who has unstable pay. And I was very excited. And at the same time, Danny hadn't performed that night at the roast. And I saw him perform in Manhattan. And he was up there with George Carlin to me, one of the funniest comedians I'd ever saw. And I just loved his his act. And, and also he was so different from other guys I'd been with. He treated me so nicely and he was always encouraging when I went in for my interview at the onion he said you're gonna get it you're amazing and always so nice to me which was I was always going after jerks and then suddenly this nice guy was in my life and Danny was so different and we had talked about religion a little bit you know he wasn't all in on being anti-Jewish or anything like I could still see that he was connected to it he didn't like it when I ate bacon (laughs) and he wanted me to stop And then one fateful Friday, Danny asked me, do you want to go to this free dinner tonight? It's through this organization, this Jewish organization. You have to explain why I went there. Okay, you can explain. So one year, I went to, as I was only doing like Yom Kippur. So I went to Yom Kippur to the Sephardic Shul where I grew up. You know, the rabbi wasn't there anymore, but it's by the beach. And I went to the beach and the sun was setting and the gates were closing. And I said to God, if you if you give me a good year, I promise I'll do a Shabbat this year. I'll do one Shabbat. And that was my promise to God that I was like, going to do a Shabbat. And I was walking down Bedford Avenue in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and a Chabad rabbi stopped me, and he said, uh, are you Jewish? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, this building is on fire. Can you put it out and save everyone? I said, of course, rabbi. I was... <laughs> Born for this. And uh, I, said, I said, step aside. He, I said, I need some. He gave me his tefillin, and I, I threw the strap up, and I swung into the window from the tefillin strap, and I, I, I saved an entire Chabad community. The story sounds very believable. Okay, fine. So this is what happened. So the rabbi comes up to me on the street, and he says, are you Jewish? I said, yeah. He said, would you like to join us for a Friday night dinner? And I said to him, well, I actually did promise God that I would do a Shabbat this year, but not tonight. He goes, okay, I'm going to stay on top of you about it. I said, okay, Rabbi. And then I kind of put it out of my mind and forgot about my promise to God. And all these months passed by. And then I, it was like the year was almost over. We're getting close to the high holidays again. And then I saw the rabbi and he's like, uh, well, are you going to come? You said you promised to do a Shabbat. You got to keep your promise to God. I said, all right, Rabbi, I'll come up. But I have shows tonight. Can I leave early? And he goes, yes, okay. So this was like my version of doing a Shabbat, you know. So I went, I went to the davening, I had some dinner, it was really nice. It was not like a religious crowd. It was like a lot of like different like artsy people that were all kind of like pulled in off the street like me. And so I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. I like the scene and the rabbi's really nice and it's nice to get a, a home-cooked meal. And um, I said, you know, like, uh, this isn't bad, I, I would come back. And then I jumped in a cab and I went into the village and did some shows. So every now and then, like, I would see the rabbi, I'd be like, all right, I'll come up for a little bit. So I would come up and I thought, oh, this is a cool scene. I like it here. And I told Kylie one time, you know, there's a place you could get, when she was living with me, I said, there's a place you could get a free dinner and it's a nice scene. You can meet some interesting people, but I don't know if they'll let you in because you're not Jewish. 
we'll have to say you're Jewish. So she says, all right. So we went there. By the way, they would have. And the rabbi knew the whole time I wasn't Jewish, and he was very nice to me anyway. Yeah. But when he took me, it was just incredible, warm feeling. He was very nice. His wife was very nice. They had a bunch of little kids running around. The food was amazing. And just when he was speaking and I looked around the room and everyone was enjoying themselves and this delicious food was inside of me, like I just felt this warmth in my chest that I'd never felt before. And it was just such a wonderful feeling. And, and from that on, every week I'd say to Danny, can we go back there? Can we go back? Like I didn't know. And then we- I was like, take it easy. We don't go that often, you know? <laughs> Danny, I wanted to ask you, you're starting to go more frequently, but you have a history of understanding like what this means and what it could lead to. So are you talking to Kylie about this idea? Look, if this becomes a regular routine, you need to learn a little bit more about, you know, what my childhood was like and what religion meant to me then. Like, were you having those conversations or just going, like you said, for the food, the good time and, and you just felt the connection there? Yeah, I like the rabbi. He was so nice and, uh, and it was nice to, you know, the food and the, the, the atmosphere and I made some friends there. But I didn't want to become religious again. I'd, I'd had such a bad experience with it getting kicked out of yeshiva. And then I was like, I don't want to go back there. I don't I don't like religious Jewish people. I mean, I didn't hate them. I was like, I don't want to, I don't like that for myself, you know. You know, it's like a scene you could check out every now and then. But I don't want, I don't want you to get too involved or anything. Because I didn't, I specifically didn't want to date Jewish women. Like, I didn't want to date Jewish women because they could pull me back into religion. At the same time, I was falling in love with you, and then one day you mentioned an offhand comment, I can only marry a Jewish girl. And I, I was like, so... Not that I wanted to get married anytime soon. I was only 21. We had just started dating. But I was falling in love with him, and if it was going to go somewhere, you know, this was a concern. I was like, why are you dating me? Well, <laughs> but I didn't really... But to me, that was just my way of saying I don't ever want to get married. That's what you said next, and that made me feel even worse. <laughs> so he's like, I don't even <laughs> want to get married. I'm like, what am I doing here? But once we started going, I started to believe in God again once we started learning from this, the rabbi's speeches and everything about Judaism. And just the way it made me feel was incredible. So that's when I said to Danny, I'd like to look into maybe converting. Because I always had Jewish friends. Now I, I like the religious part. And I'm really feeling better. And, and I was um, like, absolutely not. <laughs> so he said to me, reform, don't do that. It's not enough. Orthodox is too much. Do the middle ground. Do conservative conversion. I didn't know what any of it meant. So I just like Googled conservative rabbi, New York City conversion or something like that. And first rabbi we met with was not very promising and he was charging a hundred dollars a class and I couldn't afford that. By the way, I never thought she was going to go through with the whole thing. I thought she'd like go to a few classes and realize what I realized at the time, <laughs> which is not for me. And like, you know, I thought, okay, you know, like if you tell someone they can't do something, they just want to do it more. So I was like, all right, you could do it. But you know, then I figured she'll, she'll come to her senses. But Danny, are you, are you thinking at this time that if she does follow through on a conservative conversion that you would be okay with that and there could be a future for the two of you and you would just okay both be jewish but not be religious is that where you thought maybe this could head uh i just didn't want to get married i didn't really believe that marriage was a great thing and i didn't want to have kids and you know i was wrong about all of that you know having kids is the greatest thing in the world being married is the greatest thing in the world but i didn't you know at that point in my life i had my ideas about things so i thought look you know she wants to become 
Jewish, like if she does a conservative route, it probably won't cramp my style too much if she does that, but I don't think she'll follow through anyway. And, uh, you know, she'll go to a few things and then she'll chill out and then, you know, we can kind of go back to normal. What actually did happen, Kylie, then you follow through on the conservative conversion? Yeah. So the first rabbi was just too expensive. The second rabbi, when I tried to discuss the differences between reform, conservative and orthodox, I mentioned to him, isn't conservative like less religious than orthodox? And then he went off on the orthodox. So that really turned me off because I knew nothing at that point. And I didn't want to hear a rabbi speaking like that anyway. But he said, I won't convert you until you're ready to get married. And I was like, I'm not ready to get married anytime soon. And I want to start learning more about Judaism. So then he said, go and take this class at the 92nd Street Y. And you'll learn more about Judaism. And it turned out it was taught by a modern Orthodox rabbi. And he was very nice, nice guy. And, you know, had like a Grateful Dead knitted yarmulke. And <laughs> he, was, he was just very understanding when I talked to him about mine and Danny's situation where Danny, he didn't want me to do an Orthodox conversion because that means he would have to give up performing on Friday nights. So the rabbi was just very understanding about it. And he said, look, why don't you try to find a synagogue in your neighborhood, see if they do conversions and start to take classes. And maybe your boyfriend will start to come along with it and like it more now that he's an adult and can choose his own path. So I, again, I went to Google. I Googled synagogue near me. And it turned out to be an Orthodox, modern Orthodox synagogue, the Greenpoint Shul. And the rabbi was sounded very kind on the phone. He invited us to come down for services. And Danny came kicking and screaming, didn't want to come. And after a kiddish, which was very lovely, everyone was so nice, so sweet. And the rabbi was just soft-spoken, wonderful man. Afterwards, he, he sat Danny and I down. And that's when Danny went off. <laughs> No, that's not, that's not correct. Okay, what what did I say wrong? That's not right. Okay. You started going to classes. You're remembering yeah. wrong. Okay. You started going to these classes, and I said, I was so mad at you, because I'm like, I said stay away from Orthodox. She didn't listen. She started going to these classes. Before I ever went to the shul with her, she was going on her own, because I said, all right, you want to do it, do it on your own. So I figured, you know, she'll see what I see, and she'll get fed up. So she started going to the shul and started going to the classes and she started keeping kosher in the house. So then we had like two kitchens, my non-kosher kitchen and her kosher kitchen. <laughs> then she's like, come, you have to come to the class. You have to come to the class. I'm like, I don't want to go to the class. She goes, just come one time. So I had a plan. I'm going to go to the class. I'm going to go off on the rabbi about everything. I'm going to get us both kicked out and that'll be the end of this. So that's what I did. After the class, I told the rabbi, I went off about everything I was angry about, about Judaism and about religion and about Orthodox Judaism. And I just went off on him about it all. To his incredible credit, Rabbi Maurice Applebaum, he just sat there in the kindest, warmest smile. And he's like, everything you said makes 100% sense. He's like, you, you had it terrible things that happened and you know if you never wanted to uh come back i would totally understand but if you ever decide you do want to come back the door here is always open to you and hopefully we can give you a better experience with judaism than you've had in the past and i was just like all right he's different i said kylie you could keep going to the class but i'm not going to go with you so then um like two weeks later she said i'm going to the class what are you doing tonight i'm like 
nothing. She's like, you want to come? I said, all right, fine, I'll come and check it out. And then I said, you know what? I like this class. I like, it's interesting. I'm learning a lot. I didn't really understand all this stuff about Judaism. And um, the people there are nice and the rabbi's nice. And it, you know, it gets you out of the house and it's something different to do. So, okay, I'll go. So then I started keeping kosher with meat. I was like, all right, I'll take on meat, but I'm not going to keep kosher with chicken. And one day I went to Whole Foods in Columbus Circle and I was by myself and I got some chicken from the buffet there for lunch. And uh, I sat down and I started eating it and I felt something and I've never experienced it again and it's hard to describe it. But I felt like um, a spiritual pain of this chicken that died. And I felt it in my whole body and I couldn't shake it for like two days. And I said, okay, fine, this is God telling me I have to start keeping kosher with chicken, too. And you, when but, that happened, you came home, like, shaking. I'm like, I thought he lost his mind. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, like, really, really weird. Like, I never experienced anything like it. And I was like, all right, I can't eat non-kosher chicken ever again. So that's when we started keeping a kosher kitchen together in the house. And put up a mezuzah. Yeah, that's, like, the only, like open miracle in the story that I see. Like, there's a lot of miracles you could see in it, but, like, the fact is that, like, I did have this crazy spiritual experience with this chicken. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll get on board with the kosher kitchen in my home. Fine. That was a big moment for me. And, Danny, are you also starting to soften your stance with Kylie on what kind of conversion she might go through? Yeah, because I was going with the her to conversion classes at this point now. So I felt like I was converting with her. I felt like I was coming back to Judaism, but I was converting to Judaism because I was learning with the converts. And it was like I was seeing it with new eyes in a, in a different way. And it was much different than I thought it was. And it was much different than I remembered. And I was starting to understand, like, I think I was doing it before because I felt like I had to. But now I was starting to do things because I wanted to or because I understood them. How did your two families feel I'm thinking back to your backgrounds and what your experiences were as kids. So they see that this relationship is getting serious. I guess they're learning that you're taking an interest in Orthodox Judaism. What are they thinking about the relationship and where the two of you were headed in terms of your religion? Well, my family just, I think if I became any type of religious, it would have seemed strange to them. So they, yeah, that that's what seemed strange. Not that I was becoming Jewish or anything like that. My family is like very familiar with Jewish community from Baltimore and everything. And they also had Jewish friends. So they would give me kosher food when I went home and everything and were supportive in that way, but not quite understanding why I wouldn't turn on the lights on Shabbat or, or touch them. <laughs> uh, my family gave me a hard time about it for a while, and then they came around slowly. So now I know you're doing the interview from the Los Angeles area, so most of the story is kind of in the New York area. You make it to the conversion, you get married, and you choose to go to Los Angeles. How does that part of your life unfold? No. no, it's actually very dramatic. <laughs> so we live next to an Ecuadorian gang member who would do... whole Ecuadorian gang, actually. Yeah, they would do tattooing out of their kitchen. Bread pit bulls. They bread pit bulls. We, we got our pit bull from them. And I'd hear, like, screams all the time. And the guy who was the head of it was either a very personable, warm, funny, amazing guy... Or he would just totally switch on a dime and be angry, mean, aggressive towards us. 
and one time we came home in the morning from spending the night at his parents and there was blood in the hallway because he'd gotten into a fight with a taxi driver and beat him up and then he held up a knife to Danny's neck at one point several times yeah yeah so um he was threatening us that if we didn't go to court for him because he was getting evicted that he would hurt us or something this was happening every night at 3 a.m banging on our door so we said we have to move we have to get away from this person but we couldn't move anywhere because we had rent stabilization to live in new york city was 80 times your rent first month last month we're like you know it was either go to like section eight which we didn't want to do or move out of new york city and since danny was in comedy we both said you know it's either here or los angeles and we packed up our car in the middle of the night so our neighbor wouldn't know we were leaving and threaten us <laughs> with our two dogs. We stayed for three weeks in Florida as kind of a buffer. And then we came to Los Angeles where we grew in our observance. We live in the Pico Robertson community, which is a very nice mix of religious Jews. Well, you're skipping a lot, but basically when we got to L.A., her conversion was not accepted here because it was RCA and here it's RCC. And we thought we'd be able to pick up where we left off. She'd already done, like, over a year of conversion classes, and so did I. And then, like, when we got here, they're like, oh, you'd have to start from scratch. So, I don't know. At first, we didn't even go back into it, right? Yeah, we were just kind of floundering, and then we met a wonderful rabbi, Rabbi Schaff, who helped me ultimately convert. And before that happened, though, I'd never been to Israel, and Danny hadn't been to Israel since he was there for a year. And a local rabbi suggested, why don't, Kylie, why don't you go to seminary? Danny, why don't you go to yeshiva for a month in, in Jerusalem and see what it's like? And I fell in love with Israel immediately. And while we were there one night, it snowed. And Danny proposed to me at the hotel. Hotel in the snow. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no idea what he was going to do it then. And then I had been to the Kotel a few days before, and I didn't connect with it. And Danny's like, well, that's pretty troubling that you want to be Jewish and you don't connect with the Kotel. And it's because I had social anxiety, and I was surrounded by people, and I was just intimidated. They were praying in Hebrew. They were, like, flailing their arms. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't feel it. And once I was there by myself in the silence, because people, even if it snows a drop in Jerusalem, they're staying in their houses. <laughs> they're scared of it. I was all alone on the women's side and I silently prayed to God and I felt God's presence and we put notes in the wall for our future and I ended up converting the week before we got married. And then we found out that conversion wasn't accepted in Israel. So when I was pregnant, when I was seven months pregnant with my daughter, I went and did it again and got a Another more kosher conversion. The first one was accepted by the Orthodox Beitin. But they said, just in case you ever want to move to Israel, get another one, get the gold standard. And I just sped through it. It was we like went five months. To and three I was conversions. <laughs> the first I started in New York and then two in LA. Yeah. It's interesting, Danny, how you talk about conversion almost like you went through it also, but you know, you were kind of in this life, then came out of it and came back to it. Like how do you view yourself personally compared to what Kylie's story is? Well, I definitely converted back to Judaism because I was like away from Judaism. I may have been Jewish, but I was not connected to the religion and I was anti-religion. So I definitely converted in that way from being anti-religion to pro-religion. That's a conversion, you know? So I thought I understood a lot more than I did growing up, but you know, all my understanding was 
really up until like eighth grade. And that's when it all kind of fell apart for me. Everybody's family was more religious than my family. So I was always like the odd one out. I never felt like I belonged there, you know? Like I always felt like I'm the weird one. So I actually kind of felt like I belonged in the class with the converts because we were getting into it from outside together. And you both mentioned the idea of starting a family and you talked about being pregnant. So how do you plan to talk about religion with your kids given the unique backgrounds you both have and how you came to Orthodox Judaism? How will you explain it to your kids? Before I even got pregnant, I wrote a children's book for the children of converts for this very reason. We have a three-year-old and a one-year-old daughters. Thank God. Thank God. And they're in Gan, which is Jewish daycare, and they're learning Hebrew. It's an Israeli slash Sephardic daycare. And we just teach it with love. There's never any, like, you have to do this, you know. We try not to shush them in shul. We try to make everything such a nice, warm experience for them. Yeah. And it's always going to be about connection, not like, oh, you're sinning. It'll be about positive Judaism, just like we had with Chabad and the Greenpoint Shul and our positive Judaism in Los Angeles. There's an amazing community here and, and welcoming and warm and non-judgmental. I've been to other communities. It's not the same way. Because everyone here is very eclectic. There's Sephardim, there's Ashkenaz, and there's Persians, Moroccans, yeah. converts, Balchuba, lots of Balchubas. Lots of Chabad. Uh, yeah, so hoping that our girls and God willing future children stay religious, especially I think in today's modern world, it's crucial, like even more so when, than when I started my conversion in 2010. It seems like it's getting crazier and crazier world. <laughs> in this ever-changing world in which we live in. We get some yeah. singing out of you, Danny. That's wonderful. And so before <laughs> we close the interview, and I'm going to give each of you a chance to just talk about where people can find your work and Danny, your comedy, etc. But I know that, Danny, you were also in the news for a different reason entirely related to a robbery. So I was just hoping you'd be willing to share some of the details of that story because I think people might recognize your name when they hear you start telling the story. Well, yeah, I have a business called The Podcast Bus. The website's thepodcastbus.com. It's a mobile recording studio in Los Angeles where anybody with any business that wants to make a podcast, I will make it look and sound great. And on May 4th, the bus was robbed in my backyard. It was horrifying. I saw the doors were open on the screen. I went out there. All my stuff was gone. I came back, I was watching the footage of the robbery over and over again for like two hours, trying to find a clue or something, and I just went out two hours later to like really see what was missing, and the guy was back cleaning his fingerprints off, but I didn't know what he was doing. I just saw him back wearing a, in a ski mask in my backyard. My back door was open and my kids were inside, and I thought like he might have a weapon, he might try to kill me now that I caught him, so I have to try to kill him now because I don't want him to come into my house and, God forbid, attack my kids and my wife. So I went after him. I didn't have any weapon, so I tried to, like, pull the trampoline out of my kid's playhouse, but it was jammed, and then I tried to trap him between the playhouse and the bus, but he got away, and thank God he got away because I didn't have to kill anybody, <laughs> and he didn't have to be killed, and he ran over the wall and away, and uh, it was very traumatic and still having nightmares from it. But then we wound up on every news channel for it. And it was cool because I got a chance to make a Kiddush Hashem about it and talk about how, like, 
even though this really hurts and I, I don't understand it. I understand that God is good and everything happens for a reason, so this must be good. And that got on the news, which was I was really happy to see. Yeah, it was really hard. I'm, I'm rebuilding. We have a GoFundMe. If you go to GoFundMe and type in Rebuild the Podcast Boss, you can help us get back on our feet. And please, God, we will. It's a shame that Los Angeles has become this way. It's such a wonderful place in so many ways, and yet so much crime here now, and it makes me really sad. It's really a traumatic story, and like you said, it could have ended in a number of other ways that could have been really horrifying with someone getting hurt or killed. So, you know, all things considered, it sounds like it ended the way it was meant to, that you didn't have this, like, physical confrontation. I also just thinking about this podcast, like to end it on like an uplifting feeling, which your story is like so powerful, but I also want to give the two of you a chance just to plug some of the other things that you're working on and just tell our listeners like what's in store for you as a family in, in the years to come. Yeah, I just want to say that with this experience, we're both going through PTSD, we're both very upset with the city of Los Angeles, but ultimately time will tell, this will be a good thing. And that's what we didn't have the clarity to realize when we were when we were both younger, which is everything happens for a reason. God was there every step of the way. When I was hating my internship at The Daily Show, that was for a reason because God wanted me to say that at that comedy show so that I would connect with Daniel so that we would have a beautiful family one day and I'd be religious. And so I want to end on that uplifting note. And and our rabbi at the shul in the school where my daughters go, uh, Rabbi Laniato, met with us yesterday and was helping us through this all. And and he was saying, like, you know, it's all about Imuna. You know, we get frustrated sometimes, like, oh, we we can't buy a house in L.A., it's so expensive, maybe we should leave from the crime. And he said, look, if Hashem wants, he, he prints the money, he'll give you the money for a house in no time. He's like, if you don't have to worry, you just, you know, he said, do Hanukkah it, check the mezuzahs, and um, it'll be okay. And, like, thank God we have these incredible rabbis in our life and this incredible community that donated to our GoFundMe. A lot of people brought us food for Shabbat. And without these tools that we have through Judaism, through Emuna, through our connection with God, this could have been a much, much worse thing. But with community and with God in our life, we're able to see many blessings throughout it. I think you both just have a wonderful outlook for what you went through. And I hope after this episode comes out that your donation page gets even more donations, the numbers go way up, and you're able to just get back everything that you had. And I just want to say, Kylie and Danny, thank you so much for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit TachlisMedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.